In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. Your host, Tara Kennedy Klein, is out to dispel that myth of the perfect child and encourage parents to let them out of the box. Each child is unique, and this show is just the place to stand up and shout out that fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. So right now, join the queen of accountability who advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. Here is your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, Parent Nation, how are you? Oh my gosh, I had such an amazing week last week. I know that um, we didn't do a live show because I was actually in New York City at Toy Fair, which, you know, I have my my other business that I do, which is TK's Toy Box, and I love going to Toy Fair and just picking out all the new toys and games and puzzles and stuff that I'm going to be sharing with the charitable organizations that I work with throughout the year. And I do that because um, when I got started with um, working with charitable organizations in my area, shelters and Toys for Tots and that sort of thing, I was really disappointed by the level of products and toys that were being offered to the kids in the general donations. Uh, You see the bins everywhere, and the bins are amazing, and they're great, and they're wonderful. But what a lot of people don't know is about a third of what gets put in those bins is actually distributable by the organizations that receive them. Um, They get things that are violent toys, which we know where that's going today, especially. They get stuff that's broken, that's used, um, that's inappropriate, (laughs) true enough. Um, So... Typically what happens is about a third of the stuff that gets put in those bins is actually distributable to the charity that they're serving. And very rarely is that third educational. And what I found was these kids that are receiving these toys from these charities, they deserved, in my opinion, the same caliber of toys that I would give to my own child. Like if I get, if I'm embarrassed to give it to my own kid or if I don't see the value in it for my own kid, I'm certainly not going to put it into a bin for somebody else to give to their kid. In my opinion, if we think there's lousy toys out there, then we shouldn't be buying them for anybody because if they're not bought if they're not bought, then they won't be manufactured. I mean, that's just basic supply and demand, you know, common sense. But and you know what? Here's the deal. Same goes for all these violent video games. People are screaming, oh, my God, violent video games are the downfall of the United States of America. Stop fucking buying them. Seriously, people, if you go into a toy store and you have to fill out a questionnaire to buy an R-rated or mature-rated game for your 10-year-old, a red flag should probably go off in your head thinking, hmm, maybe there's a reason for this, and then don't buy it. If you don't buy it, they won't make it, and then your kids won't ask for it, and then you won't be put in the horrible predicament of having to say no to your 10-year-old. You know, if your 10-year-old wanted to drive your car, would you say yes? Come on, people. Let's think about this for a minute. Gosh, I hate I, I, oh, It makes me so mad. But... I digress, as I normally do in the beginning segment of this show. Um, 
I want to tell you how excited I am about the guest that I have today because she totally relates to why I was at Toy Fair, what I do at Toy Fair, why I believe that play is the most important thing that we can give to kids. If we want kids to be smarter and um, more respectful and uh, play fair and not bully each other and take turns and win and lose with grace, guess what we have to do? We have to teach them through playing with them. It's something that we've forgotten. You know, we get so bogged down as parents and so peer pressured as parents into thinking that our kids have to do every single extracurricular activity on the planet. They have to be in sports. They have to be in dance. They have to be in gymnastics. They have to be in cheerleading. They have to be in debate club. They have to be in band. They have to do all of this other stuff that doesn't involve us actually playing with them. And then once we get them in our house, we don't know what to do with them because we don't spend enough time with them to actually get to know them to find out what they would really be interested in. So we assume, based on social pressure, that the only thing our kids are going to be interested in is video games and television or the computer. So that's what we push them towards to get them out of our way. And we spend absolutely no time with our kids anymore. That's what's wrong with our kids today. We as parents, who are the teachers, aren't spending enough time with them. Quite honestly, what I'm seeing in the news today, uh, you know, maybe some people should spend less time with their kids, like the psycho on the plane who slapped a two-year-old for crying. Dude, I hope you not only lose your job, but I hope that woman owns the company that you work for. I seriously do, because you are a douchebag, sir. Nobody, you know what? No adult has the right to complain about a baby on a plane when drunk adults are getting away with the behavior that you got away with. That's disgusting. I don't want to hear people complaining about babies on planes because they're more well-behaved than half of the adults I've ridden on a plane with in the last two years, quite honestly. So anyway, it goes back again to somebody didn't play with that man enough when he was a kid. Seriously? Because then he would have learned how to be nice to people. And, you know, honestly, the bartender should have cut him off, too. But anyway, hey, I'm going to get back to my guest. My guest today is Meryl Neiman. And, Meryl, you're going to correct me if I got that wrong, because I don't mind being corrected. Um, But the thing that I love about Meryl and the reason I wanted her on the show is because her topic is why the best parents are those with messy houses and dirty children. I love you immediately, I have to tell you, because that means that I should get an award along with Julia Strauss, who's my friend from high school who put on Facebook that she should get the award for best mom. Um, Yeah, we're going to have to battle over that, Julia. But um, she says that uh, mud pies and monkey bars teach essential skills that children learn that they can't learn anywhere else. I love that. And she is a play expert. So Meryl is going to come and kind of speak to my heart space, which is uh, playing and learning through play. And we're going to talk about all things play on today's show. So I really hope you are excited to meet Meryl. Hi, Meryl. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I have to to warn you. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I have to apologize for my rants. I'm not going to apologize. I didn't warn you about my rants, and for that, I apologize. Um, oh, that's I, okay. <laughs> rant away. <laughs> when I when I don't get the opportunity to speak to my parent nation for a week, um, a lot of things build up, and I just have to get them out in the first 10 minutes of my show, or else my head will explode. So, um, but seriously, Toy Fair, 
And having you on the show this week just could not be more perfect of a scenario. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous about the toy fair. We talked about that. <laughs> but I was in Utah skiing with the family, so I can't complain too much. Oh, that's awesome. You like to ski? Yeah, we all ski. So it's a great thing for us to, to do together. And so does my husband's extended family. So we were actually all 14 of us out there together last week. So great time. That is amazing. I wish more people would do stuff like that with their families. I really do. You know, spend less time sending the kids away to camp and spend more time going away with the fam. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of both, though, because I certainly think that kids need to, to have an experience with peers without parents and to start developing independence and, and all of that. But, you know, certainly we have fewer and fewer opportunities to spend time with our kids. So you've got to grab them when, they're, when it's available. Yeah. Why do you think that we don't play with our kids as much as we used to? Um, you know, it's interesting, and, and I'm not as sure about the data about parents and child interaction so much. I mean, the data is very clear that kids' unstructured playtime has really declined, um, gone down about eight hours or so in the last two decades alone. I think that there's a lot of reasons for the decline in play. I mean, in school, it's this push down of academics and this idea that we are not succeeding academically as, as well as we would like as a country and that the answer is more homework and more academics and earlier academics. And that's led to cuts in recess in places and the mm. absence of play from the curriculum. Even, you know, kindergartens look more like first grade when we were in school. Preschools in a lot of places look like kindergarten. So that's, that's one reason. And second, um, I think that even though we're not in more danger than we were when, when we as adults were children, because of the media, because of, um, you know, I guess just an increasing anxiety level among parents, we think that our kids are imperiled if we let them go outside to play. And, you know, certainly mm. in many neighborhoods it's not safe, but even in neighborhoods where it it might be safe and where, you know, kids years ago would have just gone out in the street and hung out and played kickball. That doesn't happen as much. And I think also in part because you have two uh, working parents more frequently, so there's not somebody able to supervise that. You know, if kids are coming home alone or they're coming home to babysitters or they have a single parent, and so there isn't someone that's available to go, you know, sit on the stoop and, and watch the kids play or engage them in play. And then there's this rise in homework and structured activities. So, you know, I don't know what what your kids' lives are like, but, you know, around here at least, and this is in Pittsburgh, and I know friends and family all over the country have similar experiences, nothing is as easy as it was. I mean, if your kid wants to play soccer, when we grew up, you played soccer once a week. You went out, you kicked the ball around, and that was it. Now, if you want to have a shot at playing soccer in high school, you've got to be playing soccer on a travel team and getting coaching. And you know, when you're private, five, when you're when you're five, <laughs> and there's private baseball tutors, and I mean, it's crazy. And then there's this pressure academically. It's not sufficient to go to school and do your homework. You've got to go to Kumon tutoring, and then you have to start violin lessons. And so all these things take up 
time, and they're not, that's not play. So, you know, sports is great, and it has a role, and music is great, and it has a role, but structured activities are not the same as unstructured play. They don't fulfill that developmental requirement. I mean, they, you know, exactly. I think you mentioned in your rant about the importance yeah. of play, and it's, it's, you know, disappearing from our kids. So it is definitely a concern. Absolutely. And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about how we can start to structure that play and get kids back involved with the society that they live in. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonbenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, Parent Nation, welcome back to Stop Raising Einstein. We are talking today with Meryl Neiman. Am I saying that right, Meryl? You are, both both names correctly, so good for you. <laughs> good. It must be a Pennsylvania thing. I got it. So, um, Oh, no, lots of people here don't get it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Meryl is joining us today because she is a play expert, and uh, I just got back from Toy Fair at New York, and I really wanted to talk about how important play is in the life of our kids. I, you know... I talk so much about the things that they're eliminating, and you touched on it in the first segment too, Meryl, the things that they're eliminating from our children's curriculum. I just found out recently that in seventh grade, my kids in our school don't have art class. Yeah, I, well, that's, that's, that's falling sad. by the wayside in a lot of places. And where, you know, where we are in Pittsburgh, we're having you know, major budget cuts in our public school system. There's just not enough money. And so they're... You know, they're having to cut back on programs like that. You know what? Here's the thing for me, Meryl. I have to say this. Um, I could understand the budget cut theory if they were saying 
like some employers had to do, we're going to be cutting the extracurricular uh, specials, you know, art, gym, um, music. We're going to be cutting all those classes because we're going to be shortening the school day to save on electricity and salaries. That would make sense to me for a budget cut. But when you're telling me that you're keeping the day just as long and you're replacing those things with math and social studies, now you're not making a point with me. Right. Well, I think that gets back to sort of what I was you know, mentioning at the beginning in that, you know, we're not, we're not faring so great as a nation um, on some of these standardized testing that compares, you know, country to country. And so I think we're doing all of these measures, not just for budget cuts, but then there's also this sense that you know, we have to get better at the basics. We have to ratchet up mm-hmm. the math and reading scores. And I'm not sure that we're approaching it in the best way possible, because if you look at the research, and it's been done, and so this is what's frustrating to me, that your child does not fare better by going to an academic preschool. They're better in a play-directed preschool environment. You know, there might be a little bit of advantage for the first couple of years of school, but then that drops away, and those play-oriented preschool kids really charge out of the box. They're doing better academically, socially, they drop out less. And the same thing, like if you look at Finland, which sort of leads the pack in a comparison of high school students from around the world, they don't start school till age seven. They have minimal homework. They have multiple recesses throughout the day. They get outside, even in Finland, and yet their kids do great. And what they did is they focused on paying teachers more money, requiring all teachers to get master's degrees. You know, they they put their resources into a different direction, and it's worked for them. And, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to work for us. I mean, certainly we have differences from Finland as a country. But, you know, it it is hard to understand (laughs) that we're, you know, taking these approaches, and it's not necessarily data-driven in terms of the outcomes that we're hoping for. Um, So it's... You know, you're getting rid of play, which we know has benefits, sort of in this experimental mindset that we're going to ramp up academics, and we haven't yet shown that that's going to be successful. So, frustrating. You know, do you think that it has a lot to do with the fact that um, for some, two-income families are required. For others, it's just a desire. You know, I had my career first, and then I had kids. I'm going to go back to my career. That's my passion. I love my children, but I love my job. I'm not going to quit. So for some people, it's a necessity. For other people, it's just a personal requirement. However, in either one of those scenarios, I I believe that we're putting more children in a daycare setting than we ever have before for one reason or another, and we're expecting them to come home from that daycare little geniuses, because right. we're paying for it, yeah. you know? That, I think that's the problem. I think it's the expectation. I, I, I don't think that parents should feel guilty if their you know, children are in daycare or in preschool. I think that it's the, the type of preschool or daycare environment, and it's what they're mm-hmm. doing during those hours when they're not in school that, that matters. I don't think – and, in fact, I think that there's – you know, and I think you speak to this in general on your show, too. I think there's just too much guilt. I think that 
when I started doing all the research on play, I was thrilled because to me what the research says is that the best thing we can do as parents is to do less, <laughs> which I love. Exactly. You know, like the, the, the lazy parent you know, guide to parenting. <laughs> Lazy parents so, win. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, because, you know, really, like, open the door and kick them outside. And if you can't do that because your neighborhood's not conducive to it or because you're not home to, you know, be able to supervise that, then plan a play date. I mean, it sounds, you know, ridiculous. We didn't necessarily have to plan play dates when we were kids, but if that's the way to get your kids socialized and playing, then plan a play date, and that's you know partly why my partner and I created Playdate Planet is to make it easier because even that can be a hassle because everyone's schedules are so difficult. So, um, you know, but it's certainly easier than carting your child around to all sorts of structured activities and feeling bad because you know Joey down the street is a virtuoso violinist at age five, and you know Billy's heading for a soccer scholarship, and you know there's this feeling that you need to keep up and, you know, oh my God, my kids, you know, drawing in preschool and playing, you know, cops and robbers with their friends and the little girl down the street is already, you know, writing in cursive. That's, that's how we've been sort of raised as parents. That's the message that we keep getting. And it's just not accurate. That's, we don't need to feel bad about that because the kids that are out there, you know, playing dress up, and learning to get along are going to do better. They're going to be the ones starting companies like Google and Pixar and leading our new economy rather than the ones that have not had those opportunities. I think back to what you just said about how, you know, we can look at the people around us and have this kind of like keep up with the Joneses mentality about our kids. You know, this one's a, a, superstar on the football field and this one is playing violin masterfully. I think the thing that we don't realize as parents is, first of all, we've never been educated in how kids learn. And we have a very hard time accepting unique brilliance, what what I call unique brilliance. And, you know, we all shine in our own unique way. Just because that kid plays the violin doesn't mean she's going to be exceptional at math. I mean... She might be, but she's not going to have the same opportunities and talents and and hobbies and interests as my kid. So why would I force them to be equal in that arena because I like it or because I want to be able to to be proud about that? Right. I mean, if that's something that's your child's passion, and certainly I'm not saying don't expose your kid to music and don't expose your kid to sports. I'm just saying don't feel that you have to get into this grind of devoting your own life, you know, stripping your own freedom to be handcuffed to this goal of starting to build your child's college resume when they're Mm -hmm. in preschool. I think, you know, we're so fearful now about getting our kids into college and what that takes and how hard it's going to be and what they're going to need to do. And we sort of forget that, you know, they have to actually graduate once they get there. And the greatest predictor (laughs) of being able to get through it is, you know, at age four, are they able to finish a task? Can they focus? Can they concentrate? It's not, you know, your IQ that's so much 
um, predictive of that. It's more your executive functioning and your ability to regulate your emotions. And these are things that are learned through play. And college administrators are complaining that they're getting these kids that are not able to take care of themselves. They're not self-reliant. They're tethered to their parents. Um, And then businesses are trying to recreate this creative environment to get their employees to be more imaginative and collaborative. And I just find it so ironic. I mean, you go into a, a Google office building, we have one here in Pittsburgh, and you see pinball machines and scooters and ping pong tables and this big climbing, napping net. And Ooh, I want know, one of those. Oh, yeah, I want one of those. But it's it's a more playful environment than we have in schools today, and it's because the research is clear that people are their most creative when they have the mindset of a child at play. But So why why are we letting our children play? We're not. And then when they go off into the business world, we're trying to recreate that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still in this industrialized nation mentality, right, where we want to be growing workers who can sit at a desk and perform routine, repetitive tasks. But that's not our economy anymore. So we need to be growing out-of-the-box thinkers, risk-takers, collaborators. So I'm really, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of worried and curious about what's going to happen a decade from now when, you know, there's such a direct disconnect between the kinds of people that were graduating, the young adults that are leaving high school and the job opportunities and the economy that's there waiting for them. And I don't know that they necessarily match up, you know, because we're not allowing kids to have those interactions, to be imaginative, to take risks, to fail, right? <laughs> Excuse me, to collaborate. You know, so it's, it's, I think, Meryl, that people like you and I are making a big difference in that arena. So I'm hopeful that in 10 years from now, the changes that you and I and people like us are forging are going to be paying off in the next generation. Because I think what we're doing is we are kind of taking off where Lane Nemeth, who founded Discovery Toys, where she started, you know, 35 or 40 years ago, realizing how much children learn through play. I think now parents are just starting to pick up on that information where Prior to us, that was only educator information. Teachers knew it, and it was kind of a well-kept secret. And now we're finding a way to teach parents how kids really learn. So when our kids are coming home from preschool at four years old, we're more concerned with them being able to show us a pattern of shapes, which is going to teach them how to read, rather than expecting them to sit down and read us a book. And I think that's the kind of stuff that when we get information like that out there to Parent Nation, which is what we're here to do, that's the kind of stuff that's going to change the, 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 the dynamic and the belief system of society in what we really can expect to ch- of our children at different ages and stages of their life. So when we come back from this break, we're going to be talking more about Merrill's business. Uh, what is it? Parent Planet. Playdate Planet. <laughs> Playdate Planet. When we come back. <laughs> 
Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on Togginet.com. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Welcome back. We are joined by Meryl Neiman, who is the co-founder of Playdate Planet. And Meryl, before the break, we were talking, well, we've been talking about everything. It's kind of funny. But um, one of the big things that we were talking about is um, trying to create that structured play and how playdates really um, are an important part of that. Here's the thing. I, I didn't I wasn't able to fit playdates into my schedule um, because the only group that was around me, it was one group, it was a mom's club, and um, their playdates were at specific times of the day, on specific days of the week, and as a working mom, I couldn't get there. Right. So that was my big struggle. I remember when I was a little girl, and my mom had the village, I like to call it, and 
they would do everything. They had sewing circles and they had Tupperware parties and they had babysitting co-ops and they, they did all kinds of stuff together. And it was kind of like this point system that they kept track of everything. When I think of Playdate Planet, I'm thinking of a, a service more like what my mom experienced than what I experienced. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what you do? Right. Well, it's sort of in a way in between. So um, it it actually was prompted by my partner's frustration with scheduling playdates for her son. So she's um, a systems analyst person for a bank, and she couldn't figure out why there wasn't a better system for this because she would end up doing what you know your experience was, and I'm sure and what my experience was and is, which is you have to call up people and leave messages or send out lots of emails to try to find that child whose schedule matches your own because between your own schedule and your ability to drop them off somewhere to host a play date and then your child's schedule if they have activities, which so many kids do now, you know, even the little ones, you know, you might have to reach out to many people to find that match for that week. And, you know, that can be exhausting. And then if you leave messages, you get potentially then you could, you either have to wait until you hear back from someone before you reach out to the next person, or you could end up with a, you know, whole home full of kids at your house, which, you know, people generally don't want. So... Mm. Yeah, what, no. <laughs> what we did was we designed the system that we would want to use. And so um, it started with the basics, which is that you connect with your friends or really the, the parents of your child's friends. You know, they're often the same, especially when your kids are younger, but they can change a little bit as they get older. And you connect with them sort of like Facebook. And each person, though, has their own connections. So think about it like almost like a Google circle. And then you can create and post a play date, and you can post it to whoever you want. So say, for example, um, you know, your child has friends from the neighborhood and friends, you know, from school and friends from soccer. You know, you could send out a play date to um, one of those friends, five of those friends, ten of those friends, and you can group your friends however you like just to make it easier for yourself. Nobody sees those groupings. And so you could post a play date and have it be disseminated to eight parents, say, but only make one or two spots available. And so the first one or two people that accept that invitation are calendared, and it's done, and then it's closed. And so if someone tries to accept after that, they'll just get a little message saying that, you know, I'm sorry that the, the play date opportunity is no longer available. <laughs> um, so it's you're done. It's one stop. Um, and then we added sort of all the extra bells and whistles. So for me, for example, my daughter's a gymnast. I have a trampoline. It's, you know, probably the safest kind you can get. You know, it's springless. We have the netting around it. But a lot of people don't like trampolines. And I used to, when we first got it, remember to ask people, you know, is it okay if your child goes on the trampoline? After a while, you get used to that. You forget asking. You know, same thing. I have two dogs, you know, especially when my kids were younger. Are your kids okay with dogs? You know, they're not going to bite them, but, you know, one of my dogs might jump or lick. Um, And um, I can now enter that into my profile information, so it's just there. It shows up that there's little icons to indicate those things. Um, And similarly, if your child has allergies, 
to a pet or carries an EpiPen or um, can't eat peanut butter or certain other foods, that information, as well as emergency contact numbers, travels with your child. So it's it's all there. You don't have to keep going back and forth. You know, you get a little Google Map links to the home address if the play date's at your home, or you can enter in another address if you're hosting it off-site somewhere. You know, you can indicate if you're having a snack. It's just sort of all done. And once you've placed the information about either your house or your child there, it, you don't have to keep doing it for each play date. It's just sort of it's permanently part of the site. And if there's a conflict, like, say, your child's going for the first time on a play date and the house has a cat and your child is allergic to cats, it'll flag it for you. So you'll know, uh-oh, you know, there may be a, a problem here. Do I, am I okay? So you can put Staying in your own over. stuff? Like, like I could put in, my kid's allergic to cats, and so if I go to make a play date with somebody who has cats, it's going to flag it? Or is that up to me to check it? Um, <clears throat> if, if you have indicated that your child is allergic to cats and if the home has indicated that they have cats, it will automatically flag that for you, a little That's like so red cool. danger sign. Now, if you wrote in as notes that my child, you know, is, you know, morbidly afraid of ducks or something and somebody else, you know, ducks. like it's not going to, you know, it, it can't, it, it only cross-checks the certain information that's already um, pre-coded into the site, but you can add any information. So if you look at, like, the notes screen in our site, um, you know, and you couldn't as a member, but I'm saying if, if one did, you, you know, you would see that people will enter, um, you know, my child's autistic, but they're comfortable playing with small groups of children or, you know, my child um, is shy and likes me to stay for the first few minutes of a play date. You can enter in any sort of information like that that will mm -hmm. be read by the host parent. But that kind of information that you're just adding won't necessarily, um, you know, flag anything, but it will still be available right. for the for the parent to, to read. Now, so, as the parent of an autistic child... Do you do pairings or groupings? I know that sounds kind of funny, but I mean, do you do you kind of link families together? Like I know for a fact that Alex is more comfortable with um, introverted kids than he is with extroverts. He's just that's just his personality type. Right. So right now, um, the site is limited to connections that you have chosen to make. So it's not a way to find new um, potential play dates. We have so it's not like preschool mingle or anything. Right. It's not like <laughs> a like a mixer kind of thing. But you know and and to be honest, we were concerned about security and but um, we've had a lot of requests for that. So it's definitely something that we're thinking about doing, particularly mm -hmm. like as the numbers grow and so we have more prevalence in a certain um, zip code area that maybe you could search by zip code and age and gender. So it's, it's something that we're considering for down the road. But initially, we wanted to, to allay people's concerns that this is not information that would be public. And even if we did go down that road, you would have to agree to make your profile searchable mm -hmm. in that fashion that you would be willing to and it would be considered anonymous type of place. Right, right. And obviously you would, you know, want to take 
you know, you wouldn't just drop your child off at some stranger's house. I would presume that you would meet first <laughs> at a park or somewhere else, you know. We're, you know, it, it's hard because you do want to try to keep kids safe, even if their parents aren't necessarily making the wisest choices. So, right. you know, it's you're a, it's a balance. Go in the Chuck E. Cheese and tell them you're supposed to be there. <laughs> right. Tell them you're, you're looking for a kid named you're Danny meeting with a friend. red hair. <laughs> Right. So we don't, we're, we're a little bit wary about that, but, um, but that's, you know, something that we have on the, on the radar. We've also had requests for mommy play dates. Um, oh, yeah. so Pass that's something line. for down the road <laughs> as well. So, um, you know, we're, we have lots of ideas. It's just a matter of, you know, having the, the funding and support to continue to grow the site. So we'll see. And you know, but right now I, it's free. So people should, you know, go ahead and check it out. I love that. I think that's so cool. And you know, here's the thing. I know that we were kind of laughing about the mommy play dates thing at the end there, but I'm a firm believer in we learn by example, right? We teach by example. So what a better way to teach your child how to develop a new friendship, introduce yourself, you know, break in, break the ice kind of thing, create those social networks. What a great way to do that by, you know, by doing it yourself. I don't know. I don't know that I would necessarily want to drop my kid off. I think that if I'm doing this, if I'm setting up this whole play date thing, I'm doing it to build a network for myself as much as I am to build relationships for my kids, quite honestly. Right. Well, it definitely depends on the age of the child. I mean, we've been surprised. We have a lot of parents with newborn babies, you know, really little ones. So they're obviously not choosing this because their kids are too busy with other activities, they're looking just as you said for you know a Adult mommy baby right get togethers, <laughs> um, which is great you know so it, it, we also have we have a a lot more dads than I would have expected too and so one of the things that I realized is that you know I know for my own husband who's very hands on in lots of ways about parenting but he's he's not a, a a phone person and I think mm-hmm. a lot of men are not and calling up to schedule a play date would not really be something in his comfort zone but going on a computer and mm-hmm. you know plugging away at a few keys is not nearly as threatening <laughs> to him so Absolutely. whether it's for that reason or because there's more um, you know stay-at-home dads or just more involved dads I don't know but we've been pleasantly surprised with the number of dads that we've had register for this site I think it's awesome, too, because it goes it totally feeds into that having an outlet and having someone to talk to. You know, when you're dealing with depression, you need to have someone to get that out to. Um, We're going to be going to break now. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about why play is more important than homework or cleaning. (laughs) Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. 
The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Get ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence and how to create your life as a living legacy where the legacy you leave is the life you live as thought leaders you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change for more on donna check out her website gamechangerthinking.com then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on wise up radio with donna kimbrand tuesdays at 1 p.m eastern here on the rockstar radio network Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children, in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Welcome back to the show. We are in our final stretch with our awesome guest, Meryl Neiman. And we are, uh, we've been talking about her really cool website business, Playdate Planet, which I absolutely love. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I love the, the social aspects of it, even from a parenting perspective. I mean, I know that it's really important that our kids have those social interactions. But, you know, honestly, with the with the way parenting has been going in the last couple of years and how we've been kind of putting ourselves on individual islands and not really wanting to talk to anybody about our parenting because we don't want to be condemned or criticized or ridiculed for doing something wrong, I think it's really important to get into those social situations and have our kids see us in those social situations. Personally, Meryl, I have a very strong belief that more than technology – our isolation of each other and ourselves has more to do with our disconnect and lack of communication um, and what we're teaching our kids. I really do. I think that we have become a society where sarcasm has become a dialect. And um, I think that we become rude. I think we become disrespectful and I think we become alienating. And I think that that has a heck of a lot more to do with, our social disconnect and the problems that we're seeing in communication than anything electronic possibly could. Cause honestly, I am more connected to my kids than I ever was with my parents. 
My parents would send me out. They would literally kick me out of the house in the morning and say, don't come back until the streetlights came on. You know, I, I know that some people had those really cool parents who said, make sure you're back when the streetlights. No, my mom said, do not come back. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, but that being said, um, I, I knew where my safe places were. I knew where I could go if I was in trouble or if I was scared. Um, you know, there were block parents. There were, you know, parents that my family hung out with, um, you know, my friend's parents. I knew that I could trust those people and I knew where to go. Yeah, and I think it's a balance, right? I think you want, I think you want some of both. I mean, you want to have your child develop the ability to be resilient and to exercise some age-appropriate independence and to have relationships with children that aren't hyper-supervised, right, so that you don't have a parent or somebody constantly saying, don't touch, don't push, let them have a turn, you know, that they learn to, to deal with those issues, you know, on their own. It doesn't mean always on their own. Someone needs mm-hmm. to introduce them to the concepts originally. You know, on the other hand, you obviously, you know, want as a parent to have a relationship with your child as well and to build that trust and respect and, and, and all of that as well. And I, I, I think that it's sort of an enmeshment of both. I think that the culture has changed. I think technology, though, has assisted in that isolation because if you see how people communicate now, they're communicating through Facebook or texting, and it's, it's more anonymous. It's, you know, less of a full dialect. You know, kids speak to each mm-hmm. other in this code. Um, so I think it's all sort of pushing us towards the same place. And then there's this, there's this pressure on, these, on parents to be everything, to be all-encompassing, all that mm-hmm. child rearing is should suck the life out of you so in addition to mm-hmm. working if you work that you need to be totally consumed by your kids like in terms of what you were saying i think it is really important that children see their parents exercising and playing and enjoying friendships and socializing because that's what we want for our kids right if we suck every part of our life away and just become a, a parent and there's nothing left to us besides that, then what are we showing our children? What, you know, how are we yeah. modeling healthy adulthood to them? So, and I don't think, I don't think society does that to us. I think we do it to ourselves. I think we make a choice that we could either be the martyr parent or we could be the joyful parent. Truly. I mean, I could be that mom who every time I have to get in my car and drive my son somewhere, I go, oh, you know, I'm missing my shows. I'm not getting to go out and do right. You know, it's like we we can live in martyrdom or we can live in joyful. And I just choose to live in joyful. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I said to my son the other day when we were in the car, he actually apologized to me. He thanked me and then he apologized, which was kind of weird. I was driving him somewhere and he goes, Mom, thank you so much for for agreeing to take me to this skating rink that he wanted to go to, which was literally 25 minutes away. And he goes, I'm really sorry that I, I make you do this all the time. I can't wait until I get my driver's license. And I looked at him and, you know, the first thing that came out of my mouth, Meryl, and I didn't even say it consciously. I said, you know what, Max? I look at this as my part time job. Parenting is something that I chose, and 
I knew when I made that choice that I was going to be required to do things for you and with you that you can't do for yourself. So I look at it as a part-time job. You know, I can't say I want to have this child and then, you know, let somebody else raise them until I like them and can talk to them and tell them what to do and they can do my chores. You know, that's not what parenting is about for me. And so playing with my kids when they were babies, that just came naturally. That was just part of my job as a parent. So I love that what you're doing is teaching parents how important play really is because Somewhere along the line, somebody told us that being responsible is and being a parent is synonymous with not playing. Mm. And, you know, we, we went through this whole thing in society where you have to read to your children because reading is going to make them love learning. You know what? My kids hated sitting on my lap and listening to me read a book. They hated it. However, get out the Legos now we're talking. Right. All you know? kids are different. My kids love that. But that didn't mean that they dove into reading themselves. Exactly. Yeah, if, if my 13-year-old could have his choice, he would still have someone read to him. Exactly. <laughs> it's easier. But, he, you know, he, he, he reads. He's, he's able to do it. But it, just because I read to him a ton doesn't, did not make him the bookworm that I was. Um, exactly. So, you, you, you know, it is what it is. Just like making them practice piano every single day is not going to make them a world-famous pianist. Sorry, Tiger Mom, but that's the truth. Right, you or know? a math genius. I mean, that was the other thing, right? So music has all these other components to it, and you play Mozart when they're in the womb. and you mm-hmm. know. So, for me... Part of what we said in the beginning is kind of circling back around, too, in that if we want to discover what our children's unique brilliance is or genius is or passion is, whatever you want to call it, the way we discover those things is through playing with them. Right. I mean, that is a good point because you'll see you'll see the innate differences. So, like, when my children started preschool my son exhibited the same characteristics that he still exhibits today, that he would go to try something. If it was easy and fun, he would stick with it. If it was hard, why bother? He'd move on to the next thing. That's his personality. That's the same person he is largely today. My daughter, when she was little, and, and both my kids are small for their age, a little tiny thing, and she started on the monkey bars, and she could do like two bars, and that was it. Each day, every day when those kids went outside to play, she would be at those monkey bars, working at it, working at it, and going a little bit farther each day until she could get across. And she's my gymnast. That's her personality, right? She sees it as a challenge. She's focused, and she wants to achieve it. You can learn a lot about your child by observing, by observing how, they, how they play from a very early age, and then you can try to encourage the other traits. I mean, you could try to encourage a child like my son to stick with it longer. You know, you might discover that you enjoy it if you can get through that difficult period. You know, and a child like my daughter to, hey, you know, you've been at these monkey bars every day now, (laughs) maybe, you know, give something else a try as well. I mean, you can certainly try to encourage and nurture other aspects of their personalities, but you can also learn a lot about who they are because... 
Exactly. We're hardwired little beings, so. (laughs) We sure are, and that's the absolute truth. You talked about the, we only have like two minutes until the show's over, but you talked about the five essential skills that children learn from unstructured play. Can you give just like a couple of them in the short time that we have left? Uh, Sure. Um, Well, the... um so, for example, we talked a little bit in general about child's emotional resilience, right? So, say they're playing a game like Simon Says um, that, you know, requires that a lot of kids are going to mess up, right? And some mm-hmm. kids are going to succeed, and you have to get used to that feeling that, oh, shoot, you know, and instead of it being time for a temper tantrum, you learn, hey, there's going to be a next turn. There's going to be another try. Um so, again, you can learn something like focus with the game, like Simon says, you know, taking the same example, right? So if I don't pay attention, if I don't really um, clue in to what the, the person is saying and doing, I'm not going to succeed at this game. So you learn, you learn that, right? You learn social interactions, right? If you're playing... Um, a game with friends and you don't comply with the rules or you're always the one hogging it, you're going to get feedback from mm. your peers and you're going to learn that you do better when you are cooperative. And if you're engaged in um, creative play, it's a great way to, you know, try on and experiment with situations. And it's especially important, like, for people that are struggling, like, in difficult environments, say, because they can experience what it's like to be in a different situation or they can explore ways to adapt to their own situation, you know, by mm-hmm. by trying on different roles. So I know that, I you know, that. I know we're running out of time, but really there's, you know, sort of innumerable benefits from play. I love that. And I think that in the 10 seconds that we have left, if there's one thing that I would share that you shared with all of us, if you're having trouble with your child, if your child is throwing temper tantrums, bullying, doing those things, sit down and play a board game with them. You'd be amazed at what you can learn. Thank you so much, Meryl, for joining us today. And have a great week, everybody. Keep playing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Make these Stop Raising Einstein principles your own. Love unconditionally, give freely, laugh openly, learn daily, grow immensely. And of course, listen to the